Hello, welcome to the Healthy Alternatives podcast. I am Dr. Christine Sauer with DocChristine.com. Today's show is a recording of my radio show of the same name. Enjoy! Good afternoon, this is Dr. Christine Sauer, your host of the show Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOE FM with live stream on communityradio.ca every Thursday at 12 noon Atlantic Standard Time. Thanks for tuning in today. In this show, I will talk, mostly with guests, about all aspects of health, healthcare and wellness, from conventional to alternative and everything in between. My mission for this radio show is to help change people's lives for the better by informing them about different options to get and stay healthy and well, so they can choose for themselves which option might work in their case. And if you feel you're stuck in a dark place, I want to tell you, don't give up. There is a light at the end of the tunnel for you too. Today, I'm extremely pleased to be with Shelby for Zithia. I hope I pronounced it right, Shelby. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hi there, so good to be with you today. Thanks. Shelby, now you are a very accomplished grief guide and coach, a podcast host and more. Now, Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into grief coaching? So that's a, a bit of a long story. So I'll give you the abbreviated version. But essentially what happened is that I lost my mom when I was in college very unexpectedly. I was 21 years old. And in the aftermath of that, in the negotiating process of trying to, um, so in the aftermath process of trying to come back to life again, I started reading all of these books and blogs and listening to podcasts because I just felt extremely, extremely thirsty for information and proof that others had survived losses. I think I knew in a logical way that, of course, there are people walking around in the world that have survived really traumatic things, mm -hmm. really hard things, really difficult things. But as somebody who was 21 years old and feeling very lonely and isolated in her life. I just needed something to hang on to in that mm. sense. And I started sharing what I learned in these little tiny snippets at first, just on my personal Facebook page. And the more and more that I shared, the more people were like, oh, I didn't know that was real. I'd love to hear more about that. So things like dispelling the five myths of grief, which is something that's been traditionally taught in American psychology for a long time, and it actually has no foundation in grief, but in death. Um, other things like how empathy relates to grief, as opposed to how sympathy relates to grief, and just general things about how grief is a process that's incorporated into your life, as opposed to to a diagnosis that needs to be overcome so you can hurry up and rejoin life again. These were all concepts that absolutely blew my mind. And from sharing them on Facebook, people said, well, I want to hear it now on short videos. So I started doing Facebook lives. And then people said, you have a great voice for radio. So I'd love to hear a podcast. So I put together a podcast. And from that, people say, how can I work with you one-on-one? -on -one? And so now I offer coaching sessions where I incorporate a lot of the tools that I talk about on the show, such as speaking to our grief or speaking to things like anxiety mm -hmm. or fear or um, death itself as personalities that we carry around in our brains and in our beings on a, on a much deeper level. So it's grown from me doing research, calling myself a student of grief 
because of everything that happened yes. to me uh, and kind of pushing everything that I learned outside of my body and into the world. And people have just continued to ask for if it would show up in this format, that would be really helpful to me. And so I just feel like I'm here to create it. No, that's that's really interesting because, of course, I have, uh, as as an, an older woman at 58, I have experience with grief myself. It started at 14 when I was first time suicidal and then I actually uh, lost a few competitions and relationships and in the end I lost my ex-husband and I lost myself, I lost my profession and I went through a whole bunch of grief and I talked to dying, dying people later on to help them and read the books of Kubler-Ross and it was interesting even in medical school we had a course in one of the first semesters uh, about death and dying but you say grief is different from the stages of death that I uh, identified by Kubler-Ross. Tell a little bit about that. So that's actually really fascinating, and it's more or less the fault of sensational media. Mm -hmm. So when Elizabeth Kubler-Ross initially posed the five stages of death, they were applicable to death. So someone who has found out that they have a terminal illness, a terminal diagnosis, they yes. are going to die. Mm -hmm. uh, denial, anger, anger mm -hmm. bargaining, depression, and acceptance were the stages that she saw over and over again that terminal illness patients experience as they're walking up towards their own death. And the media caught hold of it and just somehow, I don't know what, how wires got crossed or if she possibly misspoke on TV or something happened after she published these steps where people started looking at those stages as, oh, this must be the process that happens after someone dies too, is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance in that order. And I think, and she actually came out and spoke on it. I've read her book uh, on grief and grieving, which is a magnificent resource yes. for anyone who's lost. I read it as a skeptic. I came in and said, I'm going to read the work uh, that doesn't apply to my life because mm -hmm. I feel like I did not progress through the five stages in a linear fashion. And I was kind of insulted that somebody thought that I should. And so I read the book kind of as an angry skeptic at first. And in the first chapter or in the first two chapters, she comes out and says, I'm so upset that the media has caught hold of this and sensationalize it to such a place to make gravers feel like they have to stick within this rigid structure because it's an unfair pressure. She said, I wish when I created them and people started applying them to grief that I had the vocabulary, I had words for gravers to say, but you can treat this like buckets or like circles or like um, like groups or entities that you flow through and can revisit over and over again, as opposed to things that you move through in a linear fashion. Because five years out, 10 years out, when people are experiencing anger, they they start going back. They're like, oh, I must not be healed because I'm only in the second stage. And, and that's just not, it's not true. It's not how grief works in real life. We experience all five stages, sometimes all at once. You can be accepting of your reality and really angry about it at the same time you can be in denial and also still bargaining in different ways but um but coming across that research and recognizing because i was a psychology minor in uh -huh. college i was yeah. like this is what's supposed to happen and then when i was actually grieving i was like the five linear stages is not how it happens at all and it's definitely more of a a process that you flow through and can revisit over and over and over again that's so interesting. And, and now let me ask you, how did your mom pass away? What, what, what caused it? 
had breast cancer that returned very suddenly. Um, she had breast cancer, was diagnosed in 2012, and was treated with chemo and radiation as well as surgery, uh, and was declared cancer-free in January of 2013. And then in November of that same year, she had what she thought was like pneumonia or a really bad cold, something where she was always like coughing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she finally went in to get it checked out, doctors discovered that fluid uh, had started building up on her lungs and that the cancer had metastasized. It had returned and metastasized into her lungs and into her chest. And she had one surgery to to drain her lungs to try and repair any damage. And by the time they got in, they're like, this is more or less too far gone. And anything that we would do now would be to prolong your life, not to Mm -hmm. save it. Um, And so she had to make the really difficult decision along with my father to bring in hospice and start, if it can ever be called a process, because we're all dying all the time anyway, but she started the dying process. And we were told, you know, we possibly had weeks to months and she died in exactly one week. And it was just very fast, like a snap of the fingers. So how did you feel uh, when that process was taking place? Um, In the moment, I felt like I couldn't keep up with everything that was happening. Mm. It just wasn't like it was all happening too fast for my brain to totally wrap around everything. So, of course, I was riding this roller coaster of of maybe there is hope and there's absolutely no hope. And there's a a legacy in my family, at least for the past two generations, where my mom's mom lost her mother uh, when she was 22. And my mom lost her mom when she was Mm -hmm. in her early 20s. And so there's kind of this odd generational thing that's happened where my mom knew the experience of losing her mother in her early 20s. And she knew exactly what was going to happen to my sister and I because she was died, was 21 and my sister was 19. And um, so there was that kind of component mixed into it too. I was watching my father become a caregiver and then grieve his wife. And then simultaneously, I was on winter break from college. And so everybody was posting about what they got for Christmas and on social media and reblogging funny like Hanukkah memes. And this was all, ha- and we were watching like hilariously, happy commercials on television while she was dying. And so my brain just struggled so much to incorporate all of these realities into one human experience. And then I think the core underlining all of it was devastated. Like Mm -hmm. every single morning I woke up and it just felt like a black vacuum was just sucking me under the surface of my life. Mm, That sounds really tough. And did she pass quietly and peacefully in the end? Um, I actually don't know because I wasn't there. And it's something that people ask me if I feel guilty about. And I'm not sure. My answers change (laughs) Um, from day to day. I actually uh, was dating a woman at the time and she drove from her hometown an hour and a half to come visit me. And she took me out to lunch. A lot of people were always trying to get my sister and I out of the house because it's hard to be in a house where someone is actively dying. Um, There's just kind of an energy that hangs over it. And it's really hard to to feel like you can breathe there. And so people were always trying to, you know, take us out for coffee or take us Mm -hmm. out to walk around the mall or things like that. And so my my girlfriend came into town and we went to lunch together. And as we were paying the bill to leave is the moment that my mom died. So I got a call as we were scooting out of the restaurant booth to leave and put our coats on. And, uh, and I got the call from my dad and essentially collapsed in the parking lot because I just could not hold my body up anymore. Um, I would like to believe that she passed peacefully and quietly. She had stopped talking three days earlier and her eyes were closed and she was on a breathing machine and just kind of had 
labored breathing. And by the time I got to her, of course, she was dead and, and very, very still. Um, so I, I want to say yes. And a lot of what I read and personally have started to believe in after the death of my mom mm. is that dying itself as a process mm-hmm. is mostly very, very peaceful. And, and that is a really nice uh, thought to wrap up the first half. And in the second half, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about the details of somebody that goes through grief, some close uh, friend, family member, or even a close pet passed away. And what are the biggest struggles? What's the worst trigger? And how to share your grief? And please turn in. Tune in after the commercial break for more about grief with Shelby Forsythia. Hello and welcome back to Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIO EFM or on the web at communityradio.ca. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer, and today I'm talking with Shelby Forsythia, a very accomplished grief guide about grief. So the first half, we talked a little bit about the death of your mother and how that transformed you into grieving yourself, studying grief, and now helping others with it. Now, many, many people that listen to that will, of course, identify with grief because everybody grieves at some point. Now, what is the biggest struggle somebody has in grieving? I think the biggest struggle is recognizing that there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. People see themselves in their grief and all of a sudden their life is changing and they're not the person that they used to be and they're, the structures that they've been living by or the patterns that they've been living by have dissolved because a loss happened and they think there's something wrong and they have to hurry up and patch their life back together and fix it so they can get over it or move on mm-hmm. with it. And in reality, there's nothing wrong. Like grieving is one of the most natural, normal human experiences that has been going on for as long as people have life. So for as long as people have been alive, people have been dying. Right. Um, but also for as long as people have been alive, life has been changing mm-hmm. because grief does not always, as you know this in your own life, grief does not always mean that someone has died. Grief is any time that, that what you experience as normal ends or changes. Mm. So pet loss, the loss of a job, a major move, even things that are imposed, like if you break up with somebody, you are instigating the breakup, but there's still a separation and still a change in what used to be the normal pattern or the normal way things used to be. And life is not the same after that. And so that defining moment is when loss happens and everything after that, that collection of emotions and experiences, that is the experience of grief. And all of that, whether you're angry, whether you're nostalgic, whether you don't want to talk about it, whether you become an introvert, whether you can't sleep or are suddenly sleeping a lot or eat a lot or suddenly eating nothing, like that's all very, very normal. Like there's nothing wrong with how your grief presents or how it shows up for you. No, I I think the, the expression of grief is very much also a cultural thing because in the native communities of the African, they hit each other on the chest and stuff like that. Every culture has a different ceremony, is that right? 
Yes, that's correct. And that's actually something I would like to study further because Mm. my knowledge is limited just to the books and literature that I've read so far. And I know there's so much more that I haven't seen. But one of my favorite practices, I believe, comes from Ireland uh, and it's called keening. And back, I believe, I mean, my dates might be really wonky on this, but I believe within between the 13th and 15th centuries, you could hire women to show up at a funeral or memorial ceremony to wail on your behalf and express the collective grief emotions of wow. everyone in the room or everyone at a ceremony. And they would literally yell and wail and tear their hair and their clothes to express the yeah. mourning of all the people who had gathered to grieve someone who died. Wow, that's a new profession to be established. Right. <laughs> now, how I would love to be a whaler. <laughs> yeah. Now, how do you really share your grief story with others? Because most don't wail and 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 and, and rip up their clothes. What is an appropriate way to share? Because you you change, as you said, you don't just get over it. It takes more than just getting over it. Take time out or whatever. Yeah, so I think um, the, some of the major ways that people share their grief stories are in these tiny little conversations or these moments with others. I think there's a pressure to, I have experienced a loss and now I must create something meaningful, like a piece of art or a piece of mm-hmm. music or a dance number or something that's inherently quote unquote creative. But uh, a lot of the work that I do is based on permission granting. I actually have a book coming out in the fall called Permission to Grieve. And the last permission that I teach people how to grant themselves is permission to do. And that's letting grief propel you to action, whatever that action is. So Mm -hmm. some people will plant gardens and continue to tend them after a loved one has died. Some people will set up a a shrine or like a nightstand in their home that's just entirely devoted to the person they lost. Some people wear jewelry of someone who has died, Mm -hmm. and that's their way of like taking grief out into the physical world. A lot of people write. There are a ton, a ton, a ton of books on grief and loss. Mm -hmm. There are some podcasts and radio shows about grief and loss, which is kind of my niche. There are people speaking and telling their stories. Um, on there. And then there are also things like performance art, installations, dance numbers, mm. um, even like workout groups and teams or CrossFit groups who have are all grieving, like mother loss CrossFit groups, or especially if you go into programs like the VA or military organizations, mm-hmm. or larger grief organizations like the Compassionate Friends or the Grief Recovery Method, they have these nationwide organizations that are geared towards mm. people with specific types of losses, whether it's uh, loss of a relationship, loss of a pet, or somebody who has died. And I find that some people actually found a charity in memoriam of the, the person that died, like when a child dies and they found a charity to help others. And I think that's a good way also to deal with it. Now, you said at one point there are triggers for grief and your own worst trigger, trigger would be your own face. How does it, how does it uh, play itself out? Oh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about because grief triggers are weird. Uh, Going back to our previous conversation about the five stages, one of the best cartoons I ever saw online was the five stages of grief. And they were like crying in the car, crying in the grocery store, crying at work, crying in your bedroom, crying in the shower. (laughs) And those were the five stages of grief Um, because we can be triggered all kinds of places by all kinds of different things. And I know that some people people either love or hate the word triggered, but I think people have been responding to stimuli 
in a way that transports them back to trauma for a very long time. Uh So back in war times, we've called it shell shock. Uh, In the recent years, the past 20 to 50 years, we've started calling it PTSD. Mm. So anything that sends you back to a place where you're feeling like you need to protect yourself or um, grief emotions are coming up without warning, a sight, a smell, a sound, like it can happen anywhere. And I... I told people jokingly for a while, but now the older I get, I really mean it, that my biggest grief trigger is my own face because I look strikingly like my mother. And so every time I look in the mirror or I see myself on video, um, I've done a couple of TV shows, things for uh, another job that I used to work for. I look at my face and I'm like, wow, that's my mother. And instantly all of these questions come racing to my brain. I get this, this rush feeling like for a quick second, I think she's alive. Um, But then beyond that, I'm like, wow, I wonder how old I'm going to live to be. If I get cancer, will I look like she did when she had cancer? When I die, will I look like she looked when she died? How will my body change? Will it look like hers? And just kind of all of these things of remembering how her body looked in death and wondering in a quick instant, I mean, less than five seconds, all of these things about Mm. my own mortality and my own death. And it's pretty much every single time I look into a mirror first thing in the morning, all made up. Last thing before I go to bed, I'm like, wow, there's my mother and this constant reminder of death is unescapable and looking like my mother is also inescapable. Mm. Wow, that is a fascinating story. Now, before we end the show, I would like to for you to share listeners how they can uh, get in contact with you. And you told me that listeners even can receive live grief support for only a dollar a month. Now, how does that work? Yes. So the best place to find me and all of the work that I do is at shelbyforsythia.com. The podcast is there. I release a free radio show every Wednesday where I interview people who are coming back from grief and loss in their own ways, as well as tools and tips for coming back from your own loss. And you can take them or leave them. They're absolutely free to use. And, um, And then I host monthly grief support meetings on a website called patreon.com and if you go there you can pledge at any dollar amount the minimum is one dollar and every single month usually on the last monday of the month i go live for an hour and facilitate a grief support group online and i have had people join from washington dc and australia and california and wisconsin and we all sit in this this chat room together, no fancy software required. You literally just click a link and you're dropped into the group. And we talk about things we're going through. And it's really helpful, especially as times like the holidays or Mother's Day or Father's Day rolls around. Um, But as well as other things, like oftentimes when we're grieving, our friends just don't understand what we're going through. Mm -hmm. And so it's a guaranteed way for people for a dollar a month to show up to a grief group of people who just get it. And the people who are in the group are are people who listen to my show, who uh, follow the work that I do online. And so they have that vocabulary, they have that knowing both through their own experience and through the work that I do that grief isn't, it's not a one time thing. It's not something that really goes away. It's something that stays with us lifelong. And it's a safe place to share stories. It's really phenomenal. I always come away with more resources to check out, whether they're books or videos or podcasts, or just like this sensation of, I'm really not alone in the world. And even as the facilitator, even as the person who's quote unquote teaching the group, I always feel like I'm learning something from the people that I interact with too. I never treat them like 
like customers. No, no. If you know what I mean, they're always people I think, who are. I think all of us that, that help parallel us. path. Yeah, we learn from our clients and contacts. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Shelby. It was a pleasure. I could talk for hours. Continue, but we have to end the show pretty soon. And. This brings us to the end of today's show, and please don't hesitate to contact me with any questions, thoughts, comments, or suggestions. Or if you'd like to contact Shelby and forgot the links or the websites, my email here is christine at communityradio.ca, or you can contact me through my website, docchristine.com, and I'm also great, always grateful for any feedback. I also want to extend a special thank you to today's producers, Luke Edinger and Ryan Pulsifer. You might not know this, but this is a volunteer-run non-profit radio station, and we even have an art gallery. If you're local and you'd like to drop in, we are at 11 Glendale Avenue, Lower Sackville, Nova Scotia. Thank you all for listening to Healthy Alternatives. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer. Tune in next Thursday at noon on 97.5 CIOEFM Community Radio with live stream on communityradio.ca for the next episode. Goodbye and have a great day.